I've been in mobile for, I always say that it's like basically since the Kardashians were still on Blackberries. I recently read that advertising is the art of making you feel like you have wanted something all your life that you just heard of two seconds ago. Welcome to Mobile Heroes Uncensored, episode seven. My name is Junkets here, and my co-host is Peggy Ann Saltz. Today, we're talking about agencies, how they work, where they fit, what happened to the three martini lunch, and how they are adapting to life on data. But first, our seriously unfunny, really bad joke of the week, and a quick look at what's happening in mobile. Peggy, so you complain about my jokes a lot, right? And you know, all my yeah. friends used to laugh at me when I told them that I wanted to be a comedian. Well, I did a comedy club show just last week. And guess what? Nobody's laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love the way that can be taken two ways. So I am saved. <laughs> the pain of turning that around slightly and sarcastically. You've done it for me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. But hey, enough joking. Apparently, we have some mobile news. Peggy, what is new in mobile and marketing? Well, you know, it was the battle. It was like the battle of the Titans, wasn't it there mm -hmm. for a while, John? Right? Apple versus Epic. You know, what is going to happen? Who's going to win? It was, it was Epic. Now that is actually, I'm sorry, John, that is epic because that is a game changer. Mm. What was really interesting that came out was that Apple senior vice president, Phil Schiller questioned the 70, 30 rev, rev share split for apps in 2011, 2011. And he said in uh, an email that was shared in the trial, maybe after we get to the point of making about a billion dollars a year off the app store, maybe we drop the Apple percentage. Well, as we know, that never happened, right? But mm -hmm. uh, even though the app store is making around $15 billion a year right now, but it is interesting. And, you know, I have to say about Phil Schiller, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, Peggy, but doesn't he have the perfect name? He's a marketer and his name is Schiller. <laughs> I won't go there, but yes. <laughs> exactly. And just wait that one decade, you know, 2011, 2021, we'll get there. We'll reassess, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe or maybe they'll just be pushed to that direction. Mm -hmm. Speaking mm -hmm. of pushes, here's something we seem to be pushing into tablets making a comeback. I wouldn't have thought about that one. I remember where it was lean back on the couch, but we weren't doing that anymore. Remember? Well, we were leaning back in the couch, we had this little thing in one hand, not this bigger thing in two hands. And it's kind yeah. of interesting. I actually bought a tablet for the first time in about six years. I bought one of the new Apple tablets with the M1 chip. It's killer fast. It's doing amazing things. LiDAR and, you know, 3D imaging stuff like crazy. But this is interesting. It got me kind of curious. So I checked the data. So they were super hot, as we know, in the early 2010s, right? They cooled mm -hmm. off for a few years, but now they're back up to 40 million units a quarter for the first time since 2016. And guess what? Samsung is rumored to be releasing a Giga tablet. Now that's my name for it. I just invented it. 
it's they're surveying their mobile customers on a new product that is 14.6 inch screen an oled screen i mean it's just you know if you're if you're if you're done watching netflix maybe you can do a workout with the thing and just lift it up repeatedly um, yeah, then you have to be a couch potato if you think about it. you're like you're gonna do your exercise don't feel guilty and then and then stream so i, I, can, I can see it, I can see it. Absolutely. Maybe it's an Asia thing a little bit because Lenovo just launched a 13-inch tablet that doubles as an external monitor. It's $500, mm -hmm. only available in China. But, you know, bigger is better. We know that the Asian market has been amazing for the big phones, right? Those two-hand yeah. phones. Maybe the same thing's happening with the tablet market. The only thing I can imagine, because I see this in my own home, I, maybe you do too as well, John, because it's, you know, it's been locked down. So it's like the fight for the for for any sort of control over screens you know is on and then you don't really want to watch it like that it's not really that cool you know yeah. and then i watch foreign films so i'm like totally into um you know uh scandic noir right so the subtitles are just not going to work for me at all it's no. like no so i can see it but still um yeah, come back. I don't know. I'll leave that one. I'll leave that one to you. Another <laughs> one. Okay. Another one. Maybe another comeback. Possibly bigger and better than before. Hopefully not as breakable. <laughs> Foldable phones. Yeah, <laughs> what do you make exactly. of that one? You know, we saw that obviously like a year ago or more. And it was kind of, you know, Samsung had the mini disaster, right? <laughs> a foldable phone that yeah. doesn't really work. The screen that does that kind of fails. But Q3 could see a whole bunch of new foldable phones. The category is not going away. We've got the Galaxy Fold, the Galaxy Flip, and more foldable phones from Xiaomi, Oppo, and mm -hmm. Vivo. These are where Android goes to get super high-end. We're talking $1,500 US, up to 2000 yeah. even more for a phone. And it has really interesting implications for games and apps right are you going to take the full screen you can take the half screen is the casual game just me you know on the outside as i'm you know, doing something else am i going to unfold for the full experience in a oh. mid-core or hardcore really interesting i'm just having a nightmare thought about viewability right now <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just having a nightmare thought because uh, there's apparently there are several pages of metrics around the viewable viewability of ads, right? And this is going to add a couple more because was it viewable on one half of the whole screen, one half of the half of the whole screen? We can go on and on, John. That's what I love about this industry. There it just never stops. It doesn't. Uh, it is interesting. Android 10 does provide more support for foldable devices, resizability, mm -hmm. continuity between screens, making uh, apps uh, work wherever they're they're visible. So maybe that has some uh, benefits for showing where what is visible on the screen for ads as well. But you know, um, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I'm ready to go foldable and uh, risk having my screen break. Yeah, I have that feeling too. You know, it's it's almost like the the compact. Well, you don't have a compact, John, so I'm not gonna go there. But you know, you have to open them up in a certain way. And uh, I have <laughs> colleagues of mine who had the first phone because you got to do that sort of thing. You got to be bleeding edge, right? And it's bleeding edge, and it's break. That's <laughs> what it yep. is. So yep. it was a fail. I don't know. We'll have to probably give it some time and then probably learn how to like do a TLC. You know, how do you fold it? How put it back? Who knows? We'll My wife there. tried to give me a compact, by the way, you know, because, you know, there's stuff that you could put on your head that makes it less shiny when you don't have any hair on it. And so she's like, I use this. And I was like, no, 
<laughs> the all natural look, John. You the are all the... natural shiny look. It's yeah, I'm rocking it. <laughs> Be who you are, John. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Looking forward to our guests, Peggy. I am super excited about this episode, Peggy. Who are we talking to today? Well, John, we have an interesting lineup because, of course, it's our agency special edition. So we've got special agencies. I said it. There we go. We have, <laughs> I'll start off, I'll kick it off with Nadine Santana because Nadine is a mobile hero and she's an account manager at Camelot. There you go, Nadine. Nadine is also, you might not know this, but we now do a foodie with deep Texas roots, a passion for Greece, her big anxiety, John emailing the wrong person. Ouch, we've done that. <laughs> yes, the re dreaded reply all with a nasty response. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We can all relate. And we have Bridget Hall, Director of Planning at MNC Saatchi. Bridget is also a foodie. Her love of Southeast Asian dishes inspired her to literally travel there. So that's a different take on takeout, right? Um, and another passion, this is one for you, John. Her other passion is pickleball. Sounds nearly as fun as our own game show segments, John. I don't know. Are you a pickleball uh, I think that's insider? a sport. I mean, pre-COVID when I was in the gym, there were always people playing pickleball. I almost okay. wanted to try it myself. Okay. <laughs> it was new for me because I thought about just the pickle. It wasn't going to hit me there. <laughs> There are no pickles in pickleball. Yeah, less less uh, running around than tennis. A little bit smaller court, but lots of fun. Okay, now you got me. Now I got to check it out. Now I feel like I'm a pickle. Definitely, player. yeah, definitely check it out. It's really fun. All right, I got to fill that gap in my education. I will do that. Liz Emery, Senior Director, Mobile and Ad Tech Solutions at Tenuity. She's a powerhouse, right? And literally, like first, she's driving innovation and performance in partnership with all the Tenuity divisions. Secondly, I love this, partnering with other female leaders in digital and mobile to start a women's networking group. I'd love to hear more about that. And third, right? This is one. You'll love this, John. You're into sports. Training for a powerlifting contest. Wow. There you go. Wow. Uh, deep respect. I, I can't do that. My joints do not. I work out regularly, you know, seven times a, a week, but I cannot do powerlifting. My joints will not abide. <laughs> it's it's definitely taxing on the body. <laughs> I can definitely say that, but uh, it's a good motivator. Excellent. <laughs> wow. Well, talking about women in tech and networking, this is kind of a session right here. I mean, this is a very unique Mobile Heroes Uncensored where we have all of our guests who are female, Peggy, which is pretty awesome. I think it's the first time ever, probably not yes. the last time. We've never had an all-male cast, if I'm not mistaken. But that would happen, John, because I'm always here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it is great to see Bridget, let's kick off with you. And we always want to kick off with something a little bit fun before we ask you the real question. What was the most exciting project you were ever participating in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of exciting projects going on this year. Um, I think what stands out top of mind to me is um, this year we've really been working a lot more frequently on how to activate influencer partnerships and tie that into direct response goals for our clients and really using influencers on platforms that um, 
saw explosive growth during COVID and, and we think that's going to be sustaining in 2021 and onward. So, um, you know, working with influencers on TikTok and Twitch to come with some really organic, fun content and then how to turn that and amplify it, you know, through boosted TikToks or in-feed ads to really have um, more direct call to action, whether that be taking a, um, you know, the user journey, driving them to the website to upload a photo or make a purchase. And, you know, when I started in this industry 10, 15 years ago, um, we were using influencers as really upper funnel um, tactics. And, and you'd be thrilled to see like high engagement rates or how many comments and likes you get on a post. But what's been more interesting recently is um, through working with um, influencers on Twitch, there's been a lot of learning about how do you uh, how do you act use the technology that the streamers are tapping into for their live streaming session to activate you know certain things. It could be something like a sponsorship where as people as your fans are waiting to to get into that streaming session, maybe every Tuesday I do a cooking show on Twitch. Um, we can actually have brands come and engage more during that cooking session and, and have the influencer when they're, you know, mid-show, they might stop and have an overlay on the screen and, and turn that into almost like more of a gamification experience where if, if our KPI for the strategy is to have the, the streamers and the fans go to a certain website, um, we can link to that website and it'll show you live during that streaming session how many people participated um, what food are they cooking? How many apps did you, you know, how many app downloads did you drive? And I think that's really exciting. It, it's pushing our, our company to think outside the box and not be so advertorial, but to just be really getting to know the personality of the influencer and what content would speak to their fans. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a lot of fun. Cool. So, but we need details, right? I mean, like, you know, influencers in general, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Great. Wonderful. Excellent. You know, I want to hear about the time the rock, you know, did a bicep curl and you were the weight or <laughs> mellow and you guys did a dance together and it hit TikTok and got 50 million likes. What's the biggest influencer or star that you worked with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, right now, we're kind of across the board. We're, we're working with thousands of different like micro um, influencers as well as middle tier. So while I don't have a name to throw at you, I do think um, something I found really, really helpful in this, you know, wild west of influencers, right? Like technically I could be considered an influencer as I'm throwing posts on here and uh, here and there. But um, TikTok basically has released a tool called um, Creator Marketplace. And within that, you're basically able to search on different attributes that you might find um, aligned with your brand. So mm -hmm. you can look at, um, you know, when I'm scanning the crowd of all the possible influencers, I'd be able to look at have they worked with other brands um, like Puma and Nike, and they make sense for this retailer. Um, when they post an average TikTok, you know, how many, what age are their followers, how many people engage with their average post. So it's really cool that um, right now we, we've kind of moved away from leveraging like this one-to-one -one negotiation with a massive superstar. And instead we're able to, to lock in, you know, 
a range of like 100 to 200 influencers who are going to help constantly produce these short form videos for us. And we've selected them because we know based on their fans and, and the type of posts and content that they usually produce, that it's, it's a good fit there. Cool. So what's the sweet spot for agencies to help mobile brands today? What do you do best? What's the sweet spot? Uh, there is just constantly uh, a lot of change in digital and the marketplace is evolving. So I think for an agency to come in and help brands be able to adapt quickly or just think, uh, you know, of the future, how do we, how do we adjust our media mix to um, make sure that we're staying abreast of these changes. Uh, a lot of the topic right now is around iOS 14 and Apple updating their um, privacy changes. And then even if Google has not completed this yet, the on the website of things, talking about um, retiring cookies in the future. So that's just one example of, you know, when you're working with an agency, we're all about um, future-proofing the plan, and then we're also thinking about leveraging our relationships in this industry. And you know, if if you're working with big players like TikTok and Google and all these, um, you want to be understanding of like what the current, what new and current betas are out there to experiment with. Um, what are the new tools within that TikTok creator marketplace um, as new evolutions come out? What does that mean for the brand, and how do we kind of tailor that into the uh, acquisition strategy. Nadine, your turn, right? We're hearing about what you need to do to work with brands today. There's a lot and there's a lot to keep track of. So I'd like to understand, first of all, as a person, right? What is the superpower you possess that maybe no one else knows about? Superpower I possess um, on a personal level, I would say, and honestly, I feel like it's personal and work-related, um, just in the course of the year of the pandemic where we were in constant, I'm sure for everybody, constant back-to-back -back meetings and calls, literally every single call was a different platform. I think I finally mastered the online meeting technologies a year into the pandemic between Teams and Google and GoToMeeting and WebEx. I have minimized by over 50% my year on mutes can you hear me? Can you see my screen? Um, I figure, I feel this is an accomplished superpower over the past year, just because I swear, I think I've heard countless, um, countless phrases around the, the online meeting. I feel your pain. It's, it's been endless. Um, so that's my, I feel like my personal and I guess work superpower that I, I feel like I brought to the table. Well, that is an important one. I'm going to get to your personal. Uh, that was your personal one. Now professional. Again, you know, this is the agency special edition. What is the superpower you possess to, I wouldn't say deal with your clients. That doesn't sound just quite right. <laughs> to assist and support your clients. Um, honestly, I feel one of the areas that I, that I feel I, I, I shine in or that I feel a strong suit for me is my ability to build relationships and to build very strong foundations with my clients outside of just, I mean, obviously the business and the day-to-day -day is very important, but also going beyond that and understanding what my clients' personal growth goals are and building a relationship with them for how they want to grow their business and how they want to grow their careers. It just makes us working together so seamless. And I think that's something that I've been able to do with some of our key partners. Um, and it's not in any kind of forced way. It's very organic. Um, but it, it, I feel like it lends itself to helping us work together very seamlessly and like we're all on the same team versus a client and agency partner relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing you 
shaking your head in agreement all the time, Liz. You're like, yes, I'm a people person. I'm a people person. <laughs> so I'll turn to you. You obviously love your job. You love people. But, you know, hey, people are human. <laughs> Tell us one thing that drives you absolutely nuts at work. That's the really fun question. Um, no, I do love my job. I've been in mobile for, I always say that it's like basically since the Kardashians were still on Blackberries. That's when I got into like the mobile space if I can age myself a little bit there. Okay. But in terms of what I don't like, I think going into an agency, you know kind of what you're getting into with like longer hours that can drive you crazy. But the positives of the agency life do in my mind outweigh the negatives that can come along with that, right? I think there's no mystery of like when you're at an agency, um, some days are gonna be longer than nine to five, right? And you kind of sign up for that. But like I said, the positives of like the work hard, play hard, the relationships, the exposure to different verticals and clients and tools and everything kind of make that worth it. Okay. So you're talking about exposure to tools, to clients. Unfortunately, hey, you know, we think about this and we say, hey, just like Mad Men, I'm watching it again on Netflix, right? We have unlimited spare time right now. But it's not that way, you know, we're not, it's not that schmoozing of clients. We do have, you know, Mobile World Congress and other events, Con, right around the corner. What does management of clients look like now? Because we're in COVID, it's quite different. What are you, what are you seeing? What are you getting prepared for? Yeah, yeah. The big thing for me uh, is relationships. I approach things a little bit differently with both partners, platforms, clients. The biggest thing, and you'll kind of hear me say this consistently, is treating clients, vendors like people and not someone you have to suck up to, not somebody that, you know, you're trying to like win over. Because at the end of the day, honesty is going to be way more important in any kind of relationship that you broker. And I have seen the industry shift a little bit um, through COVID. We've all just become real people, right? We're all working from home. We're all seeing each other's backgrounds. You're like, hey, what's that behind you? Like, it just kind of is humanizing us a little bit. So I think for me, I've been going the route of like, let's create a relationship. Let's create a friendship because we all go through hard times. We all have hobbies and things that we do outside of it. So I've seen a shift away from that schmoozy mad men drinking at noon, even though that's less fun, but the drinking at noon lifestyle more to the, Hey, like, how's your dog doing? I can see him in the background. What's going on in your life. Uh, it just builds a better trust and relationship long-term. So I honestly feel like that's like the positive of, of this whole thing is that schmoozing lifestyle can't really, you know, reign supreme like it used to. I have this, uh, I've recently invested in a giant gallon water bottle. Uh, so I look really awkward when I'm carrying it around in general. So I don't think people, when I'm schmoozing and mingling in happy hours, they'd be like, well, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> I, had my half gallon. I had the gallon one and I was like, this is too aggressive. So I downsized to the half gallon, but it still feels pretty aggressive on calls. I was like, uh. Yeah. I always warn clients ahead of time because I'll slowly pull it into frame and lean it. And I'll be like, I promise I'm an authority figure, guys. Trust me. Like with my clients. <laughs> Baby it bottles. Is water, right? It is really water. That's what it is. Yes. Otherwise, I'd be in real trouble if that wasn't water <laughs> and yes, we have to you take would. your word for it 
Okay. Well, you know, as we as as you know, if you've watched any of the episodes of Mobile Heroes Uncensored, we think that if we're all work and no fun, we just can't do that. We can't have that. I mean, you've got to have some fun here. This is the agency segment. We want to have some fun with you. I think we might get something different out of this. We do a segment called Macronym. It's mobile acronyms. And you know, mobile has a lot of acronyms, right? And I feel like we might get something different from the agency side. So what is one acronym you recently ran across that you think no one else here might know? And Nadine, we'll start with you. Um, so one that I've come across and it may be more popular than I realized, but the solo mo, social local mobile. Yeah, I'm okay. saying it, but then yeah, I just thought it was kind of just a random one that I saw. So um, that's one that from across I thought was kind of there you go. But next time, don't tell people what it is because we're going to ask sorry. them if they know. I was learning something here. This was interesting. <laughs> exactly. Liz, let's turn to you. What acronym have you recently run across that you think maybe nobody else here knows? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I recently ran across it, but one that I find really interesting is ARPU. I remember when I started in mobile, I was like, what does that mean? And there's different variations of it, but I'm, you know, hear it a lot more, but that's definitely one where I was like, well, that's a little wacky because I just had no idea oh, what it was. Oh, so should we have test time? I mean, Bridget, Nadine, what is ARPU? Average revenue per user. Boom. Nice. <laughs> wow. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> no, but there, there's definitely those acronyms where you're saying it in the meeting for a couple times and you're just holding back the giggles. You're like, okay, this is, <laughs> yeah. we're now speaking in our own code of media people. Especially that one, right? I mean, especially that one. Um, yeah, that's awesome. By the way, I should let you know that, you know, guests who do the best job, answer the most questions, are the most interesting and the funniest, do get, you know, one or two of Peggy's personal stash of Bitcoin. I mean, she has literally hundreds of thousands of these things, right? So I mean, you know, just just to be aware, just to be aware. My my acronym that I picked is a recent one that I just found it to be funny, um, but it's Flock. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think there's a meta. I'm not supposed to give away what it is, though, right? So we're just gonna guess. So it's, yep. yeah, yep. recent. We're going to ask Liz and Nadine, do you guys know what flock is? I know this one because I think it's hilarious that it's related to birds in so many different ways. <laughs> but Go for it. Federated or federated learning and cohorts. Is that she nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. What that was cool was about that one, Bridget? You were saying something there. I just, I think it's like Google's play on like, yes, the detailed definition of, you know, everyone is a little bit, what do we do for the future with cookies being removed there's like a contentious conversation in the marketplace that like google google by offering flock as a solution will be able to group um cohorts of users and so therefore we can target people without having to do that one-to-one -one identification and invading their privacy um and yeah just the memes of like we're all flocking together we're all like it's just uh, a yet another one to add to the list of, um, you know, client meetings and acronyms and, um, Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely. I just, a new one to add to the list. So second game we'll play and we call this game no-nos and we've had some funny, funny answers to this. We've had people who, you know, were selling a programmatic 
and didn't know what programmatic was. And I got called out by it, <laughs> by a client on that. What was the question that you're most afraid to ask when you're brand new in mobile? And I think, um, Nadine, we'll start with you. What was the question you're most afraid to ask when you're brand new in mobile? <laughs> so what I was most afraid to ask is because I kept on forgetting what it stood for was what is a SAN? What does SAN stand for? Like I it just would never, it never resonated in my brain for whatever reason. And now of course I know it like by the back of my hand, but I'd be in conversations with publishers or with whoever talking about like, oh, SAN versus non-SAN. And then one day one of my coworkers, I was training around some things and she's like, well, what does SAN stand for? And I was like, why'd you ask You're that? Like, Let's Google that real quick. It would, just, <laughs> it would never stick in my head. That was so embarrassed to ask again, one more time, what it said for. So Tell okay. all of our listeners who don't know what it is, oh. what SAN is, so that they can feel smart too. <laughs> it's a self-attributing network. Absolutely. And that's pretty important, actually, because I think yes. self-attributing network, they tell you what they did. <laughs> and you just exactly. got to, okay, yo, that's what you did. Wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll take your word for it. Thanks. <laughs> Bridget, let's turn to you. What was the question you were most afraid to ask when you were brand new in mobile? Yeah, so so years ago, I came from a broader uh, marketing role to to then transition to work at MNC Saatchi, which um, previous to MNC Saatchi Performance, we were MNC Saatchi Mobile. So in joining this mobile company where everyone was very savvy with all the MMPs and acronyms uh, specific to, you know, mobile metrics, install and post install data that would matter for clients and marketing. I was just sitting there scratching my head like, okay, too shy to ask this, but like, what is the key indicator that we're like, have reached success? So basically, how do you know that your mobile marketing strategy is doing well? And that was a loaded question, right? Because, you know, even 10 years later, I would tell my younger self um, a couple of things. <laughs> so one is just that, it's not all about hitting like a cost per install metric. That is a KPI, but it doesn't mean that you um, really have achieved success in the larger sense. So when you're asking yourself like, is this strategy working? Is my mobile strategy working? Um, what I would have said to my younger self is like, look at things like the LTV analysis, look at revenue driven and pair that with your cost per install. Um, because I think just looking for the cheapest traffic or the most efficient um, CPI is pretty misleading um, if it's not paired with this longer, uh, more holistic view of success. So. Well, it's kind of funny that you said that because most of the time, right, Peggy, when we ask this question, people say, well, I, I asked this question, you know, I, I didn't know what this word was or what a, a SAN was or whatever. And, you know, it's something that no normal person entering the world of moral marketing would know so that that that's totally acceptable but it's also something that is like common knowledge it has an easy answer but in mm -hmm. terms of like what defines success for a mobile campaign that's a matter of great debate that's a great yeah. question i mean <laughs> nobody i was, I was waiting knows. for the answer actually uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's different for everybody in different verticals and different brands so it's really really that's a, a really good question to that to to not be afraid of asking but liz let's turn to you when you were brand new in mobile what was the question you were most afraid to ask yeah i think when I was going from like a traditional agency role to things that were more mobile focused, 
I came in with this like false confidence of like an early 20 something. So I just remember being like, I know all about tracking and how cookies work and pixels and scripts. And I thought like really cool. And then I just remember being like, you, you know, IDFA and GAID. And I just remember like staring, kind of being like everything I knew for the last like year plus of my life just crumbled in front of me. Cause tracking like it changed, right? Like it was like, you don't depend on the same things. So I, like I said, that was a moment of like really humbled myself a little bit uh, <laughs> where I went from like being like, yeah, I know everything to, all right, I'm starting from square one. Someone teach me what an IDFA is and you know, what an identifier is and you know, how do I even look at this? Because like I said, every, my world blew apart in that moment when it came to tracking. <laughs> Liz, you're making my cheeks hurt by smiling too much and laughing too much. <laughs> I totally get that. I feel that pain. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Peggy has slacked me. Um, we're spending way too much time having fun. Uh, oh. off is going to like fire us or something. Uh, back to work. Um, so I did a quick Google search over the weekend and I Googled end of agencies just for the heck of it. I had no idea why I just put that in there. And like Harvard Business Review 2013, end of agencies. It's the end of agency. Ad Week 2018, it's the end of agencies. 2020, some other publication, you know, was writing about the end of agencies. So every couple of years, we hear those war drums beat. We hear somebody say, oh, agencies are so over. Um, and every couple of years, they're not, right? So I'm going to shoot this question to all of you, and maybe we'll we'll pick on Liz first for this. You know, why ha why has it not been the end of agencies? Why will they not end? And how have they changed over time to meet new and different needs? Yeah, I think agencies can have a bad reputation, right? Like as execution partners, right? I'm bringing in this agency; they're just going to execute on behalf of me. I don't think agencies are going to go away, especially the amazing ones represented here, because we pivot with our clients, right? We act as extensions of our clients versus just an execution arm. And I think that's when the agencies really keep winning and why you see like agencies like Camelot and Tenuity and MNC Saatchi Performance, like really continuing to win and continuing to grow because it's moved from that, I want your dollar and cents, give me a percent of your media, I'm just executing for you to, hey, we're an extension of your team, we're your partners, you can basically see us as, you know, hey, somebody I need to talk to every day because of my business. And I think that shift in mentality for a lot of agencies, not all, for a lot of agencies is what's going to keep us, you know, alive and keep that longevity um, in my mind. I'll jump in as well, just to add, to add on to that. I and mean, I think everything that said is 100% on point. I know when I talk about my client's business, I don't say, your business, I say, how do we meet our goals? Because their goal is my goal. That is my purpose in my role as an agency partner. Um, but we also as agencies, and again, not all agencies operate the same way, but Bridget, I think you touched on this a little while ago. As a partner, we can bring that intangible value to our clients by helping pave partnerships with bigger partners and platforms in the ad space that we can create as an at an agency level that we can then pass those those benefits off to our clients at that value. And I think that's something that is maybe not recognized enough, but it's it definitely goes a long way in helping to grow and enhance our clients' business through these through these partnerships that we're cultivating at the, at the agency level. So that is really interesting, Nadine. And mm -hmm. what we've also seen in the last six to 12 months is as we move into a privacy safe marketing <laughs> measurement world, 
we're relying less, we're having to rely less on advertising identifiers and granularity in results. And so the pendulum is shifting a little bit from, from performance back to brand potentially. And what I've heard from the very best marketers, I mean, literally just did a webinar with the person who leads growth at EA uh, and the person who leads growth and user acquisition at Gameloft. And they're much more interested in doing brand because that provides that positive spillover effect that actually makes performance much cheaper. Uh, super interesting things, Peggy. I was just going to say, I'm doing a different webinar, maybe like bookends here, but that was exactly it. It was talking talking about not just with games, but also with other brands that were really hooked on short-term performance. And it was uh, from the uh, uh, Mobile Marketing Association it was how to work with agencies, how to work with your ad tech partners and coming from major brands and saying they wanna work with them differently because it's all about the creative, it's all about branding and it's all about a consultative approach. So yeah, it's not execution or at least that's what's gonna keep you relevant for a while to come. Cool. So when it's, on that note, we're looking at opportunities. We're looking at what your role is. Um, again, seeing huge move to privacy kicked off by Apple. Talking about the opportunities for agencies, yes, there's one for you there as well. But where do you see the biggest opportunity overall on the horizon? You know, we hear so much about social audio as one example. Streaming is another. You're nodding so much. I know you want to say something, Liz, so I'll start with you. You must want to weigh in on this one. Where's the opportunity on the horizon? Yes. I am a privacy crazy person. So I actually partner with a couple people at Tenuity to lead our privacy practice and how we're future proofing our clients. So you saw that enthusiastic nodding. <laughs> um, but I think there's a couple things that we think about a lot in terms of diversification of channels. Influencer is a big one that Bridget talked about a lot earlier. Um, that's a big one we're seeing tremendous growth in. OTT is another one that I think, you know, because they have a little bit of cushioning from the privacy changes, right? Being dependent on IP address and, you know, less impacted by the cookie and IDFA changes. So I think that's another big channel. And then in terms of performance base, with everything going, Peggy and John, to your point, to awareness and broader reach type initiatives, lifecycle marketing and first party data. You're going to hear me like, that's like my thing. That's what I talk about a lot right now, because you bring people in. How do you keep them there? How do you keep them converting towards your goals? Because yes, you can bring people in all day, but you don't have the same means to retarget, retarget them. So I think keep your eye on lifecycle and first party data and brands and marketers that aren't doing that right. They're going to have a harder time with all the privacy changes happening now. Yeah, I think adding on to Liz, um, Liz named a few of those opportunities, but OTT has been something we are hyper focused on and having a lot of fun with. There's, um, you know, some major players in the space, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, etc. Um, they, you know, we heard recently that Roku and Nielsen have also expanded their partnership. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like that we're leaning into more and more capabilities on the OTT side across both interesting ways to, you know, cut up your audience segments and target someone or experiment with different target markets um, that might be relevant for you. And then when it comes to um, outside of just targeting capabilities, measurement, um, OTT is, is like a super scalable way. Like I think in, you know, the digital 
people like me would have sat on a completely different floor than someone who's doing like linear TV or just um, video completion. And so for us to be able to buy OTT and CTV programmatically and still be able to, to map that back to, you know, a, a story for the client of, of behavior and how we were able to affect that behavioral change. So after exposure to the CTV ad, you know, it, it's really exciting to see um, looking at your website traffic and correlating any uplift there based on the CTV or even, you know, it's been, I think at this point in time, the MMPs have also caught up to expand their technology in the same way that the OTT inventory has, has taken off and um, evolved in terms of targeting. So now we can look and see, you know, that correlation of people who are seeing the CTV ad and then installing your app on iOS and Android. So this opens up more opportunities as we might have to shift away from some of those, you know, mobile specific partners where their tracking is now limited due to these privacy changes. Mm -hmm. I'm Nadine, just wondering how, about, how many minds oh. bridges blowing right now among people who are new to mobile marketing and to digital marketing. She's going OTT and MPP and IDFA <laughs> and all these other acronyms and somebody else is having a Liz or a Nadine moment. And like, what does that mean? <laughs> Speaking of Nadine, we're going to ask you, because you're going to go from superpowers to super opportunities. I have to hear you weigh in here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are definitely areas that we're expanding our media mix to 100%. Um, not only just from a measurement standpoint, but also just that's where the users are going. OTT numbers are scaling up and up year over year. I mean, linear, obviously, it's still a huge, um, huge, huge part of the mix, but you can't deny um, where OTT is, is making an impact across, obviously, all the different all the different devices and all different channels. Um, we at Camelot, we've been planning OTT, honestly, like we, we partner very close with our linear teams as well as our digital teams to create a cohesive plan just to ensure that we're, we're partnering or targeting towards the right audiences and eliminating overlap between the different channels. Um, but really it's about capturing our users where they're, where they're active. And um, audio is an area that we're really tapping into right now, um, even more so than we have historically, just because again, our, our audiences, and especially now with this post-pandemic world, people are trying to get out. This is summertime. This summer is going to be a lot different than previous summers. People want to be away from home for the first time in a year, and I think that we're going to see a lot more numbers climbing up on podcasts and, and audio, social audio, et cetera. So those are areas that we're really exploring and looking to expand to for our clients across the, across the board. Very cool. So we actually see a ton of ad tech consolidation right now, right? Um, I believe you've talked about this as well, right? First party data matters. Um, and so we're seeing companies uh, acquire um, ad tech companies. We're seeing ad tech companies acquire publishers. <laughs> we're seeing lots of different amalgamations of units that contain everything they need to target and to provide content for people to attract uh, people to their properties. How's that going to impact agencies? Maybe kick that off with Liz. Sure. I can jump in here. I have always been a fan of consolidation, um, especially in the agency world. You're exposed to a lot of different companies. You get a lot of different emails, outreach, and the points of differentiation are not as strong as they used to be. So the move <laughs> That's a very email. polite way of saying that. <laughs> Why, thank you. I'm working on it now. <laughs> I think <laughs> in, in my mind, I think there is going to be a benefit for clients and agencies with this consolidation because it allows you to build those stronger relationships and partnerships and really 
you know, go in deep with the partners versus, hey, I'm working with 60 different partners, casting a wide net, running on the same inventory and getting the same things and competing against myself. Like, like I said, I think that consolidation is kind of where we've needed to go for a while. So I'm on the train of like, let's keep going. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of the consolidation. And, and John, to your point too, a lot of like the first party data things are becoming really important. So I think we're going to see more in that realm uh, really, really soon. So last question. Um, of course, you all work with a large number, unless of course, <laughs> Liz is correct, fewer when it consolidates, large number of ad tech platforms. What are the attributes of your best partners? I think I will kick it off with you, Bridget. So the best partners out there that we work with um, really are able to help us understand um, the, the ability to reach certain targets and have context around like user behavior, whether it's on that publication or that app or through their inventory and the way that they're accessing um, users. I think that transparency is huge here. Um, so being able to understand you know, insights that are valuable, where the ads are being served and how this leads to um, a better user experience for customers. So overall, there's a ton of criteria, but I think um, most important to us is really transparency of where the inventory comes from and ability to really hit the target audience with something relevant to them. Um, we were always conscious that advertising can get a bad rap and uh, especially want to make this successful for both parties, right? Like gain a relationship with the customer and not just get cheap traffic in the door um, by misleading them by any means. Turn to you, Nadine. What would you like to add to that? Yeah, I know. I think um, one of the things that we typically look for with our partners is actually building a partnership um, and actually being able to work cohesively to um, to help influence their roadmaps and their product rollouts on ways that will help benefit their end user, which is typically their agency and client partners and what things things that we are looking for, looking to enhance to improve our clients' campaigns. So, in the ad tech um, platform specifically, like in those capabilities, we try to garner those those relationships early on so that we're actually having those collaborative conversations to help help guide and direct um, kind of how those things unfold over time, so just to enhance our relationships and also to just benefit both their products as well as our experiences using their products. So that's, I think, one of the areas that we, that we look, one thing we look for in our partnerships. It's really interesting, impacting or having input into the roadmap. Liz, you're nodding, so you're probably Thinking similarly, I'll, I'll let you finish. What is it that you look for? What are the attributes of the best partners rather? Yeah, for me, and this kind of circles back to how at Tenuity we approach our client relationships too, but honesty is number one. And, I, and what I mean by that is things break, things don't perform, things don't work. My biggest pet peeve when it comes to partnerships is don't lie to me. I will catch you or don't make excuses. Like I'd rather know like, hey, sometimes something's not the right fit. That's okay. Sometimes things don't work. That's okay, right? And the more direct and honest dialogue that I have with partners, the more likely I am to continue the partnership, even if there is some kind of unexpected hiccup on a campaign or something overspends, underspends, doesn't perform. Like, you know, there's human error and things, like things just happen. So the more direct you are, and the more you're just like, hey, this is what happened, the more likely I am to be like, all right, water under the bridge, let's move forward. But if you don't tell me and I find out, 
that puts you in a list where you're on Liz's bad side and you don't want to be on Liz's bad side. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'm a power lifter. You don't want to be on Liz's bad side at any point. No, but that's kind of my big thing is just be honest. And I think that that goes for Mm -hmm. clients, partners, platforms, like all across the board. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. That's a great tip. Um, Talking about tips, Peggy and I always end this with the goodie bag. And the goodie bag in this case is we're looking for your top tip for marketers. And we're trying to like double dip on this, actually. It's a double dip tip. Uh, Peggy, say that 10 times quickly, please. I won't even try now. <laughs> It'll end up embarrassing when something. I know, I would too. Uh, so here's the deal. I would love to hear, and Peggy would as well, your top tip for marketers for A, getting the best out of the agency that you work with, and B, creating mind blowing campaigns. Nadine, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to take it back to a previous comment I made and I just keep it old school. At the end of the day, for me, the best way to deal with your agency is back to the relationships of it. Um, obviously, learning each other's business and each other's backgrounds is important from a business perspective, but really learning and getting to know your clients and building that level of trust together um, to me is the best, the best way to have a collaborative and healthy relationship with your agency partners to ensure that they're going to do the best for you and your business. Um, and in terms of mind-blowing campaigns, honestly, uh, diversify, you know, it's great to have your tried and trees, your evergreens and your, you know, your continuous place that you have in the marketplace, but there's always going to be something new coming out. And it's, it's good to know to obviously keep things fresh, but also know when being first to do is the right move for your partners. And when it is double down on that and just get their, get their presence out there and kind of make a big splash, but just constantly kind of having fresh things into the mix for our partners. We when we plan everything, we have our baseline plan that comes in month over month. And then on top of that, we add in like a new one, one to two partners, either per month or per quarter, depending on how big we're going, and just try to expand and, and help kind of grow their, their presence across different platforms. Excellent. Excellent. Bridget, turning to you, uh, the twofer is getting your the best out of your agency and creating mind-blowing campaigns. So on tips for getting the best out of your agency, I definitely agree with, uh, you know, notes from Liz and Nadine, but overall it's a collaborative um, approach to planning. So I think being candid and open about what you know versus what you don't know, but aspire to know. Um, So using data and and really speaking with your customers, whether they're um, your most engaged users or your churned users to, find out what it is about the brand that really resonates and areas you could improve so that then um, when you're looking at putting together a marketing strategy, you've tailored this and you're not just talking at someone, you're, you're really um, hitting the mark in terms of motivating a change in behavior. Separately, um, a little tip, you know, it's, it's a loaded question how to create a mind-blowing marketing campaign, but I think that for us, we're seeing a lot of cool ad tech in the creative space where you can get a lot more experimental in like performance driven creative. Um, This level of personalization is always something we're working towards rather than just assuming that everyone, regardless of their, you know, gender or age or location is facing this, the same type purchasing decisions. The truth is they're not. Um, so we've been really experimental with, um, using whether it's through programmatic platforms like DB360 or testing guys like Seltra and other creative automation tools, 
um, to tap into personalization. And that's really elevated us, I think, in our strategy. And then another tip for, for mind-blowing campaigns is just going in with the ability to have a little bit of fun and experiment. I think I've learned that a lot with the influencer campaigns is that we, we used to be a little bit more buttoned up with brand guidelines and, and really black and white list of what you can and can't say in an ad. And what we're finding with this new landscape and new generations of consumers is that it's okay as a brand to like stand up for something or to have more of a personality and to show that in your advertising. I love that. I could just see you guys coming mm -hmm. with a list, a 10 page list of, you know, this is how you treat the brand and here's where the logo goes. <laughs> These are the, right, yeah, like, the influencer are going like, the, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. We went off script. It's like, there's no script here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Liz, last kicks your dual top tips, getting the best out of your agency and creating mind blowing campaigns. Yeah. I think my tip for best out of your agency goes to the agency and the brand itself is don't be afraid to say no or question each other. I think a lot of the time being on the agency, you have agencies that will nod their head and be like, yes, we can deliver that. Like, don't be afraid to say to your brand, like, no, that's an unrealistic goal. You shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. <laughs> As brands, if you get something from your agency, don't be afraid to be like, actually, I want to do X, Y, and Z, right? I think sometimes there can be a fear slash power dynamic thing. And it goes against how we like to function, like I said, we're an extension of your team. We're your partners. Like, let's talk things through. So that's my best advice, right? Like, don't just go off of the word of either person. Like, challenge each other because that's how you're going to get the best results. And then in terms of mind-blowing campaigns, the biggest thing I'm always telling, you know, our teams here at Tenuity is never stop testing. Like, never stop testing. And the women's group that I, you know, one of the co-founders of, we talk about that all the time. People get very set in their ways. We're like, okay, I know this works but it may work now, might not work tomorrow, may work again in a month, right? Like you just, there's not this like stability of things always going to be the same. So never stop testing, always being on the lookout. And I think Nadine and Bridget both said, said this, like be on the lookout for new and unique opportunities. And it doesn't have to be this flashy full page takeover, you know, unique unit, non-skippable X, Y, and Z. It can be a new targeting type. It could be a new PMP. It could just be something very, very simple that you're leveraging your data in a unique way, but like always be looking, even if it seems like a little thing, try it out, right? And have fun with it, like Bridget said. Mm -hmm. And take some creative risks, right? Like yeah. throw some stuff out there that makes zero sense because some of the most viral campaigns are the most, you know, like the most mm -hmm. non-obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you think that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but 50 million people liked it, <laughs> you know? Um, absolutely. Well, this has been super interesting. Want to thank each of you, Liz, Bridget, Nadine. You've been amazing. You've been wonderful guests. You've been incredible. And it has been wonderful having a panel on agencies and having a panel of 100% women. Thank you. Thank you.